This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have you here, and I'm so excited to introduce our guest, who I hope will encourage you and give us some ideas to make this one part of life that happens every day a little less overwhelming. Our guest is Amy Palangian today, and she is the founder of Yummy Toddler Food, which is a site filled with practical feeding advice and wholesome, happy recipes geared towards families with little kids. Okay, I am out of the toddler stage. A lot of you probably are too. Maybe some of you are not. And I highly recommend checking out that site, yummytoddlerfood.com. But we, in this episode, talk so much about making mealtime enjoyable and simple. And Amy also has a book coming out called Dinner Time SOS. Go pre-order it. It is going to help you make your dinner time situation much less stressful. Amy is an expert on all of this. She's also the author of Busy Little Hands, Food Play, a cookbook for preschoolers. That's fun. She's worked as the lifestyle director at Family Fun Magazine, as a food editor with Better Homes and Gardens, Special Interest Media, and as the deputy editor for Ready Made Magazine. She's been featured on HGTV, All Recipes, Better Homes and Gardens, Bon Appetit, Delicious Living, Motherly, Parents.com, Real Simple, The Wall Street Journal. She's been everywhere. And I am going to tell you, this episode, it's going to make you feel refreshed. I am telling you, it is going to make you feel like, okay, this doesn't have to be a huge deal. And I can do it. Uh, I am super honest with her in this episode. I struggle with this part of parenting. I really do. And when I see other people doing a really good job with it, I'm like, what in the heck is going on? Why can't I get this together? Amy's relatable. I think and hope I'm relatable. And I hope this conversation brings you some life. I hope it encourages you. I think it will. Uh, Today, we've got a new sponsor today that I am pumped to tell you about. It is Two Before. Two Before is a natural sports performance superfood made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. What do blackcurrant berries do? Well, they contain unique levels of antioxidants called anthocyanins, which have been proven to boost athletic performance by increasing blood flow, making it more efficient for the body to pump oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood to the muscles. It also kickstarts your recovery, helps with muscle soreness, and manages inflammation, and it strengthens your immunity. Immune-boosting antioxidants and natural-occurring vitamin C are in these black currant berries. I gotta tell you, it also tastes refreshing and delicious. So you can drink it daily, 30 to 45 minutes before you work out. You'll feel that effect of it around 60 minutes from taking it. You just mix it up with around four to eight ounces of water or electrolyte drink, whatever you're drinking. I just mix mine with water and there you have it. All right, so I am really excited for you to check it out and excited to hear how it works for you. You can save 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping 
when you use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y at checkout. Just go to two, the number two, before.com and use the code Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, and that'll get you 30% off 20 packs plus free shipping. All right, friends, if you're enjoying the show, please share it on social media with your friends who you think might be interested and uh, leave us a quick rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, You can also support the show at patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Amy. All right, friends, welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling? I'm so excited to have Amy Palangian on the show. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you for having me. All right, so you're going to teach us how to feed our family. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Right? Please, please help. I know, it is like just that common thing that we all share that we have to do every day that is just hard. It's hard. It's hard, you know, and I have friends, like here, my best friend, Allie from Indiana, she just is good at it. Like she likes to cook. She's really good at cooking. She enjoys that like nurturing part of motherhood where it's like, this is my job. I feed my family. And she comes up with these like cool recipes. She has a 12 and 10 year old and they've, they're really good eaters. They've always eaten what the family eats. And I'm over here going, Oh my gosh, just give my third a peanut butter and jelly and like, I don't care, calories in the body as long as we eat so we don't melt down. Right. Well, it's, there's so many factors to go into how it plays out in everyone's house that it's like, we so often compare ourselves to other people and like Mm. the, we're not comparing the same set of anything. (laughs) So it's like very misleading because your life is not the same as hers, even though you are very good friends. (laughs) I love that you bring that to my attention and I thank you for that. Sure. (laughs) Yes, I have to remind myself, I've gotten into a trap several times with her and I'll, I'll say this to her even like we were out to dinner with, I went home to Indiana, we were out to dinner with, there was, I think five of us girlfriends and, um, most of my friends have two kids and I have four kids and I feel like I'm constantly like, I am not a natural mother And I was like almost in tears with her at dinner. I was like, you are the natural mother. You are the one that does this all really well. And I am, why do I have four kids? You know, like I don't even enjoy these like parts of mothering that, that you do. And so anyway, I, I find myself in this comparison trap with her a lot and other moms with no fault of them. They're just living their lives, but um, it's hard to not be hard on yourself. Yeah. And I think there's this pressure to like enjoy all of being a parent, which I think is realistic for like anything. Like even if you like love playing soccer, there's probably parts of it that you love less. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's also part of, part of it. There's that pressure. Yeah. And we are going to talk about food today, but I I do want (laughs) to hone in on that comment because, um, for instance, I just have one of my kids home today, two at soccer camp, one at the beach with a friend. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pour into him and then put a show on so I can do this interview. And I played Uno with him for like, I don't know, 20 minutes. And I was like, I feel like I should be enjoying every second of this Uno game where it's just one-on-one. But in the back of my head, I was like, I cannot wait for this Uno game to be over so I can like finish prepping for this call. Right, right. I mean, I think that's normal. Like, I I just, I think there's so much, like, if you think about the way that we spend our childhoods and the way that our kids sort of are culturally, there is an expectation Mm -hmm. on 
parents to be spending summers with their kids. You know, it's like all, I mean, I could talk about the social media 18 summer videos about, Uh, I mean, it's the worst. It's like, there's this. Tell me that. I know. It's like, I wish that we could pay more attention to the bigger context. And this, I talk about this a lot with food also, Mm -hmm. but like, I'm a fully grown adult and I spend a lot of time with my parents and it doesn't mean that like every moment has to be the most thrilling, but it means that we have a a relationship that has continued and like there are things we enjoy doing together. And I think that that is like, it it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, And like that longer term picture, I just feel like is more realistic as far as how much we're like the I just think we have to get away from the enjoying every single second and also like when we're at the table every meal is not going to be everyone's favorite and like maybe you hate uno and you played it because your son played it and like that's enough like you know like yeah totally okay so I want to start with like how did you get into the food industry you're the creator of yummy toddler food you've been featured in a gazillion magazines, <laughs> the Today Show, like you've been everywhere. So where did this passion even be- begin? So I grew up in a family that was very into food. And so I've always like been in the kitchen and been cooking and sort of surrounded by food. But I worked in magazines for about a decade. I was a food editor. I was a lifestyle editor. So I put together like stories about like Thanksgiving parties and um, did market work, like sourcing new snacks or lunch boxes or uh, um, like sort of seeing what was coming on as far as like product development went. So I had this background in reaching an audience within like the food space and sort of everything related to food. And then the magazine industry has just steadily contracted. And so every magazine job I had, I lost. And there was a point like at my third job where I was like, or third or fourth, I, I knew it was going to go away. Like I could, I could mm. tell, like nobody believed me. I was like, you guys, this, if we make it a year, it's going to be yeah. like, um, so I had started yummy toddler food as a hobby previous to that because I had like my first daughter and then she turned one. And I just felt like there were not resources for kids that age who were discovering their autonomy and their voice. And yet they like couldn't chew everything. And there's like, more specific nutritional needs. And so I started just putting recipes online as a hobby, both like for myself and also just because that was like the early days of blogging where you could just throw content up and it didn't really matter. Um, So in that last magazine job, when I could sort of tell that it was going away, I was like, okay, this side thing I've been doing like needs to turn into my job because Mm. I don't want to rely on, I don't want to go to work every day and feel like I might lose my job. So I basically like taught myself how to be a blogger. And thankfully at that time, there was no Instagram or Instagram was like just pictures. So I didn't have to learn how to also do video and all of the other things that I do now. So I just learned like the basics of being a food blogger. Um, And then like that sort of went from there. Yeah. I love that you said when you could just like throw things up because (laughs) oftentimes now though, I think we overthink things and Mm -hmm. sometimes like if I throw a reel up on Instagram, my best reels are the ones that like I do just throw up and I don't think about it at all. So, um, 
And I think oftentimes we're also stopped by the pressure of that it has to be perfect, which is why we never start in the first place. So thank God you didn't like let that perfection (laughs) obsession stop you. Right. Right. And also like, I, I think I was lucky that I didn't know how much I didn't know. Yeah. And I just did it for like three to four years just because I liked it. And, and that gave me like the confidence to then figure out the rest of it because I knew I liked the content. Yeah. And then I just had to like learn the technical stuff. Okay. How old are your kids now? Um, 11, seven and four. Okay. We're very, we're very close in age. My youngest is four. My oldest is 11. So, um, yeah. So I'm, curious like so the start of your website yummy toddler toddler food as your kids age and I think about this with this podcast too because I oftentimes like to talk to people that um are experts in the field of like where my kids are in development Mm -hmm. you know so how have you um kind of moved along in your business as your kids have aged so my website is really not connected to my family um I like pretty early on wanted that to not be it's not like a food diary it is more like a resource for other people so it is very much like trying to solve the problems of other people who are in that phase so to me it doesn't really matter the ages of my kids because I like this age group and talking to families with young kids because a lot of them are cooking for the first time Mm -hmm. And there are sort of habits and the way that we relate to food with kids who are little becomes sort of the way that we relate to them as they grow up. And so for me, helping parents establish relationships with food that are not like moralistic with like good and bad foods, they're more of like holistic and looking at how do we make mealtime enjoyable how do we raise kids who are then confident to like go to school and eat a range of foods? So my focus is is going to stay in this younger group because I'm very passionate about those aspects. And it does mean that like I have changed the way that my videos look, um, both because of like a lot of it was privacy reasons, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like as my accounts have grown and as there have been some videos that have been seen by like, 13 million people like you there is I'm like I don't want to do that to my kids and so most of the videos now are me with the food and sometimes you do see a kid in there like I you know I have like my whole phone full of stuff from previous years so like I do sprinkle some stuff in there but um that has been a very deliberate choice for you know like the sake of my kids like I don't want there was a time like a couple of years ago where we were somewhere and my kids were recognized and I wasn't yeah. there and I was like, I don't want them to yeah. be in that position. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the biggest topics we can cover today is is this picky eater situation. And I look back at my own life and I think, okay, I was pureeing the sweet potatoes for my first, doing all these things that I felt like were the right way. I get to my third and I'm like throwing Cheerios on his, <laughs> you know, like just like I said earlier, food and body. So we don't have meltdowns. And my third is my pickiest eater. That being said, I'm like, I don't know, man, maybe that's just him. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's anything I did or didn't do. Um, he seems to have some sort of sensory things with food, like smell of food. Ew, that's gross. Like he can't stand the smell. So, um, 
a couple things I want to cover is like, I don't know how much you know or don't know about this, but how much of what we do when they are 18 months, two years old is going to affect what's happening when they're six, seven, eight. So it's really hard to answer that question because you're missing the context. Mm. Like, are the, what is the environment like at all of those different stages? What are the other influences? Who else is around the child when they're eating? What is the relationship of the parents with the food? Like, you mm. it's you can't isolate it like that. And I think that when you realize that you can't isolate it, a lot of the pressure gets lifted off of you because you can very easily, like the way that you're describing it, feel like you were the thing that caused mm-hmm. that to happen, but you can't separate yourself from everything else. And also that child is unique and has their own personality and they came into the world predisposed to whatever. And for me, I'm more, I'm more interested in Given what we know about this child in front of us, what are the things that we can do to help them relax at mealtimes, to help us not be triggered by their behavior so that we're not giving them feedback that tells them that they're doing something wrong? Mm. And how can I like get to the table with less stress? Um, like every kid is so different and there's so much pressure on like feeding babies a hundred different foods before they're one, but every baby becomes a toddler. And most toddlers go through a phase where their growth slows down and they're naturally less hungry. And that is when every, every, most parents start calling their child picky. And a lot of the times that's not what it is when it starts. It's just the child is less hungry than the parent expects. And the parent reacts by putting food in front of them that is easier to eat, that is food that they usually like. And so then like that naturally narrows the accepted food list. That's not pickiness. That's like a chain reaction of events. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that happening. It's just, I want parents to know that like 14 months, 17 months, 19 months, your child may be less hungry than you expect. And that may mean that they don't eat dinner. And that is not a cause for like a spiral. If you can like remember that it is impossible to accurately predict someone else's hunger, Mm. your whole view on feeding kids changes. Like they're going to be hungrier some days than others, and you're not going to know which days those are. So the best thing you can do is like have a sort of a foundation for the way food is in your house, have sort of structure with meals and basic expectations of like who's making the meal, where the decisions are being made. And then when you get to the table, like allow flexibility for the kid so that you're actually responding to them and not like your perception of what they should be doing or should be eating. So I didn't really answer your question, but I feel like the, I really want to help people think about this a little bit differently. Um, Because for me, the goal is not to get every kid to eat all of the same foods it's to have kids who can eat a wide range, not a, a range of foods over the course of a period of time and that they could go to school and like eat a few school lunches a week or they could go to a friend's house and sit at the dinner table and find something on the table that they like. It's it's like it's less about getting them to eat everything that you put on their plate. I think one thing people get really nervous about, especially in those younger years that you were talking about, is like, 
well, if they don't eat right now, they're going to wake me up in the middle of the night hungry. And yeah, in our house, usually like after dinner, I'll be like, if someone chooses not to eat, I'm like, kitchen's closed, guys. Like you can eat breakfast in the morning. And then if they're like really begging me for food right before bed, I'll say you can have an apple or a banana. Like you can have something that Mm -hmm. I do not have to prepare that does not cause a mess. That's it. But what would you say to parents who are like, but I want to make them eat because I don't want them to wake me up at 1 a.m. saying I'm hungry. And by the way, that's never happened to me. I was going to say, there is the fear of that happening and the time, it's not uh, like connected to reality a lot of the times. Like many, many two-year-olds do what's called like tapering where they get the bulk of the calories that they need earlier in the day and then they eat less as the day goes on and they don't wake up at night. That is just their natural pattern and that can change as they get older. Um, If you, it, it also depends on the child and like their age. So if you have like a three-year-old who is regularly waking up in the middle of the night telling you that they're hungry, I would look at how close to bedtime are they eating, maybe offer a boring bedtime snack. Is it possible that they are in a habit? Is it possible that they know that you will react to them saying that they're hungry and that they will get, you will give them attention? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's hard to suss out. Like I never want to not believe a child when they say that they're hungry. Right. But when they know that those words cause you to like jump, like it becomes a thing that they remember. So um, so if you're having that happen, I would offer a bedtime snack. Like that is the simplest way to solve this. And then you don't necessarily have to worry about what's being eaten at dinner. You know that they can eat a banana right before bed or they can eat a piece of toast or a snack bar or something. Um, <clears throat> and then it will just like alleviate your stress level. Hey friends, a quick break here to thank Koala Clip for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you are not already running with a Koala Clip, what are you doing? It is the easiest way to take your phone with you on the go. I have three and I often give them as gifts for Christmas or birthday presents. They're super simple, easy, inexpensive gifts to give and They just clip to the back of your Razorback sports bra. I oftentimes put my ID and a couple dollars in there as well as as my car key if I'm driving somewhere to go run. Super easy to access. I've gotten really used to it and they are uh, sweat-free, water resistant. So if you are sweating like a maniac or you are getting wet from the elements outside, you don't have to worry about your phone staying dry because it will. Uh, Trust me, I've used the Koala Clip for many years and many different uh, circumstances with the weather. They also have really cute apparel now as well. I love this sweatshirt that just says runner on it. It is a super soft material. Um, they have really simple styles as well. Last year I got my sister the Grit, Grace, and Gratitude sweatshirt. Only $31. Go to koalaclip.com. Use the code ANOTHER for 10% off your order at Koala Clip. That's koalaclip.com for 10% off your order at Koala Clip. All right, friends, back to the show. Yeah, so let's talk about like, what is your simplest advice for how we can make dinner time less stressful? Um, I think I would look at like, what are the things you can do before you start cooking to make it easier? So that might mean you buy something already made, mm. that, like a component. Like that might, you know, if like dealing with raw meat is the thing that you hate, 
because there are kids everywhere and you're going to have to wash your hands four mm-hmm. times. Like maybe you buy a rotisserie chicken and you assemble the rest. Like maybe you're forever buying vegetables and you never can get to the part where you chop them up. Maybe mm-hmm. you buy them pre-cut in the supermarket aisle and then you just dump them into the pan. Like there, it's going to be different for everybody, but I have realized that like, I really don't like making salad dressing. I love eating salad. So we buy a lot of salad kits and I have like, we started with Caesar. All of my kids like that. I recently tried like an avocado ranch one and my seven-year-old like ate like a giant bowl of it. So that has been hugely helpful because then I don't have to have like a thousand different ingredients with which to make the dressing I can just buy the thing and then dump it in the bowl um so I like to think of like those things and I know that pre-made ingredients can cost a little bit more Mm -hmm. but if they are the difference between you eating the food or throwing the food out it's actually not more expensive that's right (laughs) yeah so um and you know it's like You can buy like a simmer sauce, like a tikka masala simmer sauce, dump it in the slow cooker with like two pounds of chicken and like there's dinner. Like there are ways that you can sort of strategize. Um, I would just think about like what part of this is the thing. Maybe it's planning. Maybe it's the cleanup. Like I don't know what the thing is, but if you can figure out the thing that is causing you the most difficulty, then there might be ways to simplify that part before you get to the table. Like if you hate planning, I would just like pick 10 meals and rotate them for the month. Like, or five meals, like have the same thing every week. Like who cares? Like, you know, like it doesn't have to be a giant production every night and we can simplify the amount of decisions that we're making that way, which could be helpful. Yeah. Do you follow the account or know of the account Naptime Kitchen? Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking on what you're saying here with the 10 recipes, I saw one thing that she does is she has this binder and she's like, it is my binder of our go-to recipes, of our favorite recipes. That way, if I have a day where I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? It's always one of those recipes. Right. And I love that idea. I had my 11-year-old make a list of um, her favorite dinners. And so that's on the fridge, which is essentially the same thing. Um, And they're like not recipes. It's like tacos with black beans like it's like super simple stuff that I know at least one kid really likes um so that has been a helpful thing too I just want you all to know that this is so much a parenting podcast that I just put a band-aid on a kid's leg while Amy was talking okay (laughs) but I'm also so focused on this topic that it's easy to run this conversation because like this is something we all struggle with not maybe maybe not We've got at the alleys in the world. Right, that's we don't true. all struggle. <laughs> that is true. Um, okay, so what about uh, kid involvement with the ki- kitchen? Because I say this thinking of just yesterday, I was painting my son's room, and two of my kids plus a neighbor wanted to help. And I was like, oh boy. <laughs> there are multiple th- things going on in my head. Like, wow, the Enneagram 7 in me is like, this could be so much fun for them, a memory to last forever. How fun. I'm a fun mom. We're doing this together. But then I'm like, oh, it's going to look so much better if I just do it by myself. It'll be faster. I won't be worried about paint on the floor. Same goes for cooking. So what are your thoughts? Um, I think that you can do it or not do it. Like I I just, whether or not you cook with your kids is not going to determine how your child eats when they are a grown up. (laughs) 
Um, and if it means that you do it at Christmas for, and you make cookies together and you never do it the rest of the year, like that is a hundred percent fine in, in my house. Like I wrote a book for like a cookbook for little kids. Um, and now probably the cadence of like how many, how many times a week a kid is cooking in the kitchen, maybe two. Like last week, my son one night helped chop lettuce. Um, and my daughter made brownies on another day. Like that was the t- total of, so I look at like, sometimes my, I do have, um, like with the salad kits, like the kids can dump those into a bowl and toss them together with tongs. So I'm not like, I just feel like if you want to do it, then wonderful. If it is making the whole thing more stressful and is making you have more of a mess and is just adding to the reason that you don't that you just feel like overwhelmed, then just don't do it. Like it's not, um, and there are ways that you can have the kids engage with food that do not have to be like full-fledged cooking. Uh, like you can simply have them choose like an element of dinner or you could have them like, if they're at the grocery store with you, just like narrate what you're buying. Or if you go to the farmer's market, talk about what you see. Like. It doesn't have to be, again, it's like, it doesn't have to be at this all or nothing situation. And then another thing you can do is when you're at the table, like you can give them ways to engage with their food that kind of develop the same skills as cooking together. So we have a lot of mini tongs that my son, like if I know that I'm putting a meal on the table that my son doesn't love, I'll hand him a pair of mini tongs because then he can like do something to the food. Um, The same with like a little kid's knife. Um, or like sprinkling something or like pouring their own water. Like we have a pitcher with a lid. Um, So you can think about those things too. Tell us about Dinner SOS though, your book that's coming out August 22nd, because I think maybe this can help us. Yeah. So the book Dinner Time SOS, it's a hundred recipes for families of any type. Um, Nice. Yes. It is meant for, it is like a vetted collection of recipes that, are really with this whole, like, how do I get dinner on the table, like, now? Or, like, (laughs) five minutes from now. Um, It is minimal chopping, minimal prep work. Uh, I did as many, like, put everything into the pot as or put, like, assemble these five things on a plate type of thing, and then sort of tips throughout for how to serve one meal to the whole family. Like, how can you add flavor for an adult and have things be, like, more mild for a kid? Um, what do you do when you make something and your child doesn't want to eat it? Like all of this context that we're talking about is sort of woven throughout the book. Um, because I just know that you can't have a recipe and expect it to just like miraculously go from a book to the table without it, like interacting with your actual life. Right. Because that's the thing. I think that's where I've gotten so hung up is like, I will, I want to make this like big fancy meal for my husband and I, but then I'm like, well, what are the kids going to have? And I know that, you know, everybody says like pull things apart so that it doesn't look like this big fancy salad, like pull the strawberries out of the salad for the kids. But I still find myself really struggling with it. It's a lot of mental work to do that. And so I hope that the book, I hope I've done it for people because that is the way that I think, because this is my full-time job. Like I literally, this is, I think about this all day long. 
Um, but most people are doing other things. So um, like an example of sort of something like that is like there's this recipe for a Mediterranean hummus bowl. You're mm-hmm. like making one, you like make the meat. If you're using meat, there's a vegetarian option. And then you're just putting everything else together. But it's not like, like I just made it the other day and I had like cucumber sauce and hummus on mine with like extra pepper and feta. And then Mm. the kids had like cucumbers dipped in hummus with pita chips. Um, And it was like plenty fancy for, like it felt fancy to me because of the stuff that was on top. And then, but to them it was like a snack plate. So it's like, what is the thing I can have that's going to take this from being like a plain bowl of rice and meat to like something that feels like I'm like at a restaurant? So, um, so I did, I tried to like keep those things in mind or like there's a, there's a recipe for, um, rice that has cauliflower in it that it's like a cheesy rice. So like you Uh can have it plain or you can like fry an egg on top and put scallions and like hot sauce and turn it into like, you know, like hipster food. Like there's a whole range of ways that like, and visually there is a photo with every recipe. So I did try to make sure I was showing some of that happening to just sort of like help people see the options. I think that right there is my biggest struggle. That's it. And then I'm like, well, they need the vegetables too. How do we get our kids to eat vegetables or try vegetables? Well, I think if you're thinking about it over the course of like a week, um, and you're also remembering that fruit has most of the same nutrients as vegetables, then you can relax about it. Um, Like, I just think there's too much, like we need a range of nutrients and vegetables are just one of them. Mm. Um, And it's not like the, like if a a kid doesn't eat vegetables for a few days, they're probably eating other foods. (laughs) Like it's it's not like that is gonna make or break anything. Um, I, I just think like the disconnect between the way that we're being sold, like what everyone needs to eat and the reality of how our bodies work like and naturally little kids will like often eat like two pints of blueberries and then yes. like a different food the next day like it's you know it's sort of like if you if you put it all on a like a a big map like at the end of the week it would look like a range of foods but at dinner it might just be cheese so I think if you can keep in mind like the way that kids naturally eat, you can also like worry a little bit less about the vegetables. Gosh, that's true. And I've like, I've just decided recently to go all in on fruit. Mm -hmm. I'm like all the peaches, all the apples, (laughs) all the grapes, all the strawberries, because they will all eat the fruit. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious, like in your own life, like, do you ever feel this pressure? Like this is my job. So like I have to do it the right way with my kids. Like, how have you gotten to this place where, from the outside looking in, it looks so easy for you? Um, well, remember that I spend, like I was saying, I spend like a bulk of my day cooking. So a lot of the time, like I make dinner during the day when no one's here. Like that is ah. the re- that's like the reality of some days, not every day. I mean, a lot of days I get home at five thirty and then I have to make dinner. Um, I feel no pressure to make anything perfect or to have kids who will eat everything. I just, I think after my third child, I was like, I had no space for it left. Mm. Like, And also like my third, when he was a baby, he was not interested in food. Mm. And, and I, and that was coming off of a, like a kid who like 
she, and she still is like a very adventurous eater. Um, and I just was like, I have to think about this differently. Like there's nothing wrong with him. He is eating how the amount that he needs. He's exploring food in his own timeline. And it just helped me relax a little bit and just remember that like, there's no one right way to do any of this, but we have plenty of meals that are like grilled cheese and cucumbers or box mac and cheese, or like, I just, I really truly feel like it's the zooming out for me that has like totally changed my relationship with feeding the kids. Like is, Mm -hmm. are they seeing different foods over the course of like this whole week? And the answer is always yes. So that just makes everything feel less pressure. Um, And I have discovered that like two of my kids don't like chicken, but they will happily eat rotisserie chicken or chicken nuggets. And I'm like, well, some chicken's better than no chicken. So I'm going to buy those. That's right. I'm going to buy those. And then like that makes my life easier. Um, So I think it's been like cumulative over time. And I also like I do very strongly want to model that there is a different way to do this than what we see every almost everywhere else on social media. Like I want it to feel like I can relax about this. Mm. Um, and not that you have to do anything because I say so, but if it can be comforting to know that like, well, she does this as her job and like she bought that thing instead of making it. And yes. like, that's fine. Like sometimes we just need that permission Um to know that it's okay because we're not getting it from anywhere else. Why do we feel like a hero when we make the salad dressing? (laughs) It's just like cultural messaging is really strong. (laughs) That is, that's so true. Oh my gosh. Um, I am like most people in America (laughs) fall into the trap of like, I'm buying the granola bars. I'm buying prepackaged stuff. I'm buying the, the macaroni. Like I'm buying all the things that make it easier, which is, you know, we've talked about that a lot. Like that's good. Like if, if that's what works for you, sometimes you need to do that. However, I would like to not rely on it so much. So do you have any advice for people who we're not trying to eliminate it all the way? Heck no. Mm -hmm. But to get a little more homemade in the situations. Sure. I mean, you can start with like one homemade snack or one homemade breakfast a week, like one. Um, You could work in snacks that are like apple slices and cheese or hummus and triscuits or like that are like a little step backward toward just like single ingredients. Um, You could have like hard cooked eggs or yogurt with honey, like there are ways that you can simplify the way that you're thinking about snacks mm. and sort of add to the things that you're buying. Maybe you buy one less box of granola bars and you make sure that you have like the fruit and the cheese sticks that your kids like. Um, like that can be a very approachable way to do it. And it's also probably a little bit less expensive to have a mix of types of foods like that or even like one of my kids will eat like an avocado like with a spoon (laughs) like there are you know like a snack can be like anything really that you decide that it is so you could look for opportunities like that like I recently discovered that my kids actually prefer plain yogurt with honey versus flavored yogurt from the store yeah and I didn't I wouldn't have thought that 
And it took me like a couple times of buying what I thought they wanted and them not eating it to be like, uh-huh. oh, they actually prefer it this way. So, and that's usually less expensive to buy like the bigger thing. So I think it's some of that you just have to like play around with and see. Um, but those are some options. Talk to me about your, um, I know you say like no, no bad foods, right? Like we don't separate foods with good and bad. And I'm curious how you talk to your kids and you, how you teach on this, uh, when we talk to our kids about, you know, like not eating cookies for every meal and things like that. There's nothing wrong with a cookie, but I try to teach my kids like how your body feels is really reflected on what you put into it on a regular basis but I don't want to send the message that putting a cookie into your body is a bad thing. So for me, it's my job is the being the one who brings the food into the house and deciding what is for most meals and then giving the kids flexibility within that. I don't actually think that they we need to be explaining all of the reasons why we're doing the things that we're doing. Because our relationship with food is probably not neutral, and we mm. may be passing along messages that are not actually true, or they may not be true for everyone, or they may not be true on that day. And it gets sort of like it's a really slippery slope when you start trying to explain stuff. So I call the food what it is like a cookie is a cookie ice cream is ice cream, yogurt is yogurt. I'm not like making up names for things unless my kids do it and they think it's funny. Um, Mm. I'm not like calling frozen bananas that are pureed nice cream. I just call it banana sorbet or banana. Yeah. Like if I make mac and cheese with cauliflower in it, I call it cauliflower mac and cheese. Like um, call the food what it is. And then the kids learn from watching us. Like we don't... We don't have to be so like preachy about nutrition. Like Mm. it's not, we're not going to convince a four-year-old to eat a certain food because it's good for them. Mm. And when you get to the part where you're like, well, if you eat carrots, it'll make you see in the dark. Like that's not true. And it's coercive. Like you're turning food into this sort of transactional thing. Like my daughter wears glasses. She's never going to see in the dark. Like, you know, like there's, I just, we're making it too hard. And if you can remember that you're, the kids are watching us mm. and they're going to get all of that information as soon as they leave your house and they go to school or they're with other people. And if we can focus more on like, how can I have a food environment in my house that is like lower stress and that allows people to enjoy the food that they like and that has a variety? Like, I feel like that's a more important foundation because like they don't live in a vacuum. Like they're going to hear all the other stuff and then they're going to have questions. And like, you want them to be able to come to you and ask questions. Like my, one of my kids will hear stuff at school about, you know, like, someone in their classroom will tell them they have to eat all of their lunch before they're allowed to eat the dessert. And she's like, well, I didn't want any more of that. Like it's, Mm. you know, you have to be able to help them navigate some of that. And I just want them to have like as little baggage as possible Mm. and to be more in tune with, um, with like knowing what the food is and knowing when they're full. And the thing about how, what you eat impacts how you feel 
Like, yes, that is true, but also the way that you think about food impacts the way that you think you feel. Mm. And it is not like a direct correlation between like, I eat, insert specific food, and therefore I feel this way. We have all sorts of thoughts and preconceptions about food and anxiety and fear that make us think we feel certain things. Like, you know, like the idea of sugar highs has been disproven for like 25 years. And it is a common assumption that like that is a real thing. And every time a kid eats a cupcake, they go crazy. And we forget that like every time a kid eats a cupcake, they're usually at a birthday party. And there's like all of this other stuff going on. So it's not, um, it's just not black and white. And so I just, I don't do it. Like, and it's totally, it's like, it's great. It's like, you can just focus on the actual food and you, um, it's easier. I will say that. And you're the one that buys the groceries. So you're the one that has control over what is presented in your home. Right. Right. Oh, I love that. Yeah. We could go on and on about our (laughs) own preconceived notions and like what baggage (laughs) we're bringing with us from our own childhood. (laughs) Those parents, uh, those parents of the eighties and nineties. Right. <laughs> I mean, whew, I mean, I'm like, think still thinking about my mother-in-law up until the day she died, she was doing weight watchers, you know, it's like not until the day she died. Cause she was very sick, but like, right, right, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Until that time, it was like still, still counting the points. And it's like, there was just this way of life that thank God, most of us have broken free from, um, Thank God I'm not, nobody's at my house is buying low fat cheese. My goodness. <laughs> um, okay. We have to wrap within a podcast questions here. I, we could go on and on. I, I highly encourage, I'm going to pick up your book, Dinnertime SOS. I, I will pre-order it. I know pre-orders are important. They are. Thank you. Yes. Um, and we'll link to that in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. But what is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? I mean, I really want the book to come out. I feel like this book has been like, yes been it's such a long process to publish a book so I'm really excited about that I think like that's the thing I want to happen (laughs) uh what is the best most recent book you've read um I've read a lot of books that have like blended together that have been like beach reads I really like tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow oh I've heard that's good yeah it's really good like the subject matter I was not remotely interested in but it is so well written that I was like really invested Mm. what about a kid's book there is a book called Wild Honey from the Moon that mm. we got in a literati box that um, is the sweetest story of this. I forget what animal. It's like a mole or something. Her son is sick and then she like learns that the only thing that's going to cure him is wild honey from the moon. And so she goes on this like epic journey to find this wild honey. It's very sweet. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Do you have a trip or a place you recommend going to with your family? Um, We went to Gulf Shores, Alabama for Mm. spring break this year, which was lovely. It was like very low key. I suggest going before spring break, Mm. um, not during the height of spring break. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And your last message to leave with the audience today. Um, I would say like, remember, there is no perfect way to feed a family and whatever you are doing is amazing. That's amazing. I love that. (laughs) Thank you, Amy. You're welcome. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Amy, for coming on the show. 
You all can learn more about Amy on her website, which is amypelangian.com. Definitely go pre-order her book. I love supporting guests on this show. Dinnertime SOS. Go check it out. Uh, you can find me personally on Instagram. I'm lindsayhines626. On threads, I'm also lindsayhines626. Is that going to take off? I don't know. You tell me. At Lindsay Hine on Twitter. And you can learn more about this show and all the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. Links to all of our sponsors and discount codes are over there. Just click on the Why Is Everyone Yelling tab. Um, you can also sign up for our newsletter and all that stuff. Like all of the show notes, everything we talked about, links to books, all the things um, can be delivered to your inbox when you sign up for our newsletter. Uh, all right, friends, thanks for being here. And we'll see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?